Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today, we're talking about 1883, the Yellowstone prequel that aired earlier this year on Paramount+. And my guest is the lead editor, Chad Gouster. Chad, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Listeners, just a warning, spoilers are possible. So, Chad, I know you have a history with the creator of the show, Taylor Sheridan, um, who folks who may not be aware, uh, I, he's written some of my favorite things. And as, as his career has progressed, talk to me about how you guys met and what you guys did together. We met in kind of a, a, a random way. You know, I spent the first good chunk of my career, first 12, 15 years, uh, cutting documentary and reality television. You know, when I got out of school, those were the jobs that were available to me. And I, I landed in some great spots, uh, some really long-term gigs. And so um, what happened was during season one of, of Yellowstone, uh, Taylor was editing Yellowstone. He had two editors and they needed some help. And so um, a guy that I met on The Hills, which was an MTV series popular in the mid to late 2000s. I remember uh, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it kind of had its moment. Well, I, a friend of mine that I met there and I'd known ever since is a documentary reality editor. Um, had just coincidentally known Taylor Sheridan for 20 years. They were just friends. And then uh, when Taylor started to make Yellowstone, my buddy went and started working for him. And so when Taylor asked him, you know, do you know any editors? He gave him my name. And I flew out to Park City, Utah, which is where Yellowstone was shooting at the time. The sound stages were there. They've since moved everything to Montana. And I met him and we just like hit it off um, professionally and, and as people. I, I remember that I cut uh, a scene uh, sort of complicated, like six person dialogue scene. I only had a few hours to do it and he watched it. And um, he said, okay, and he was, he was directing. So he went back out to, to keep shooting. And then I went over to his house for dinner that night. And uh, he's like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm we don't know each other, uh, but I'm impressed. And I was like, great, I love everything that you do. And um, we just started working together. And then very quickly I became Taylor's finishing editor. And so it was an, you know, in an unofficial capacity, not named that way, but just sort of what happened. So either I would cut a scene for Yellowstone or if someone else did, I would um, work with Taylor and do the final version. And we've just continued that way ever since. So I've done all four seasons of Yellowstone with him. I did a film that he directed that came out last year called Those Who Wish Me Dead, starring Angelina Jolie. Uh, we did a television series called Mayor of Kingstown with Jeremy Renner and, uh, and 1883. And so since since that day that I met him, I have worked exclusively for him. And so we're going on going on five years now, I think if my math is correct. And it's been the highlight of my professional life. I mean, he's just, uh, again, he just does stuff that I find fascinating. He writes stuff that I find fascinating. And, um, and I just, I, I enjoy working with him. And so that's, that's kind of how we do it on, on every show. I usually do the, I guess always do the, the first episode, usually the last episode if it works out the way and then a number in between. And so, yeah, we've just built this relationship and, and continue to work together rather fruitfully. So, um, and, and it continues. I'm going into Yellowstone season five with him in a little bit. Well, Chad, give me a sense how having this kind of relationship over time does impact the editing. In other words, there's the skill of actually editing it, but certainly that relationship and knowing each other as well as you do and having done so many projects, how does that play out when you're editing something new? Yeah, it, it, it makes things move so much faster, especially in a show like, um, so Taylor is a, is a, he's been horseback his entire life. Like, you know, he writes from a place of, of genuine authentic, authenticity. 
So for a show like Yellowstone or 1883, there's a lot of like very horse specific mechanics that to a lay person um, would be unnoticeable. But like to someone like him and to his friends and to the people that work on these shows, they're very specific. And so having worked with him for years, I've learned a lot about riding horses and just horses in general, uh, rodeos, horse shows, different types of competitions. So when I put a, a scene together that contains you know, those kinds of elements. It just means that I'm, I'm going to get it right, you know, 90, 95% of the time where it would have been like a 50, 50 or worse before. And so it just saves everybody time. You know, these, the schedules that we make these shows on are, are pretty aggressive. That was certainly the case with 1883. We just did not have a lot of time. It was a really, really tight production schedule. And I think we started shooting in August and we were on the air in, in December and, you know, the first script was written in April. Uh, so for a show of this magnitude, that's it's an uncommonly fast schedule. So so and, and then even even aside from like the horse mechanics, just like understanding how he likes things put together. I think part of the reason why we've had a successful working relationship is because I we, we saw things the same way, mostly the same way to begin with. And then you'd work with someone you can just you read their mind after a while. And, um, and we're at the, we're at the mind reading stage for the most part. I mean, every once in a while, he'll surprise me with a note. I think he'll love something and he hates <laughs> it or vice versa. Uh, so that that's, you know, it's, that's always going to be the case, but, but um, we see things pretty much the same way. And that just helps us be very efficient when we need to be. Let's dive a deeper then into 1883. This show takes an interesting choice that it utilizes a flash forward episode one, right out of the gate. As an editor, talk to me about your perspective of using this both as a technique and then for 1883 specifically, what you're trying to achieve there. It's a pretty common technique, right? And, it, and it, it's um, it just, you know, like the, the how did we get here thing. And so what we start with is, a, you know, a very intense, um, I guess, an attack uh, that our that our main character is witnessing and that she becomes a part of. And. It, it does a couple of things. One, it, it, it and, and this is just what it does in general when movies use it. says, hey, there's something really exciting slash terrifying slash horrific that's about to come. And so it it, it just grabs people and, and, it, and it, it's a promise. It means that you can take your time setting up the rest of your show after the flash forward because you know the audience knows it's like okay there, there's some exposition here maybe we've got a you know maybe this is moving a little slow but we're going to get to that part at some point and that's exciting and i really want to see how we got to that point um and so with our especially with our with our character who we meet you know we meet there and she's this like grizzled warrior really what you see when in the flash forward and then when you meet her when you when you go back into the where we, be, we actually begin our our proper story she's this like wild-eyed um naive fresh-faced girl who has no idea you know like about battle or 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 anything you know she has i mean anything she's just lived in one place her entire life and wants to see the world i think that it, you know it was it was it was written into 1883 sometimes those those types of flash forwards are found in editorial and sometimes they're found when you discover that your show isn't all that exciting and so it can be used <laughs> as a crutch for sure um, sometimes it's, it's planned. And in this case, it was very much planned. It was, it was part of the original structure when it was, when the whole thing was written, you know, and it takes us a while. I mean, it's a 10 episode series and we don't pay off that scene until episode nine. And so it takes us a while to get there, but it, it, it just, it, 
it highlight it, it tells you some things about where the character is going to go. Um, I think it it engages you. Uh, it, it tells you some things visually about what we're going to do. It tells you some things about how we're going to about the authenticity of what we're depicting. I think that in our case, it's a short scene. It's maybe three and a half, three, three and a half minutes, but it just tells you a lot about where you're headed. And um, from my experience, and it's tough to say, like being in this role, but I find it captivating. And, and the feedback that we've gotten is that I think a lot of other people found that found it to be that as well and you know it's 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 good and bad it, it just people some form some opinions about it but again it was it was just a it was a window into our story and i think it it benefited us quite a bit so i'm i'm proud of that sequence and proud of what it does for the show now when you're doing a flash forward sequence particularly in this larger context um how do i say it is there anything different about how you edit it in other words, what you're going to show or the pacing of it that you would take a different approach than you would when the scene actually happens, like you said, in episode nine. Yeah, there there are. I mean, we actually, we. It's it, what's interesting about where it ended up is that it is largely, in the flash forward as it's presented in episode one, is largely the edit that exists in episode nine when we see the the, the actual scene. But what you would do normally, and, and, and we did do some of this, is, is, is make it more hyper real in the beginning. So whereas the scene might just play out in straight time when it's presented in the, you know, the episode that it comes from, you, you, could, you could be more you know, artful, impressionistic. And, and um, you know, the, the, the flash forward opens on a minute and 45 second shot of her, of her face, of Isabel's face, um, Isabel May playing um, Elsa. And within that, you, we, we cut out the, the horrific images that she's seeing. Um, and so you can you can play around with it more because really what you're trying to do is establish a feeling. The audience has no way to contextualize within the story what they're seeing. So you're just trying to create a series of emotions and um, some like just gut reactions to the violence or you know the whatever she's seeing. So I think that's the main difference is that you can you can really just play around and, and have fun with the with the footage that you have, and then later on you tell the the scene in a more straightforward way because it's fitting into like you understand there's it's part of a plot now, and so you just you you engage it that way. Another technique that you did with 1883 is the use of a voiceover where the Elsa Dutton character, besides being our main character, she's also our narrator, and every episode we hear her sort of set up and close out what's happening. And talk to me, was that part of Taylor's plan from the beginning as well? Or how does that come together? And, and again, as an editor, how do you edit to that? Sure. Uh, very much part of his plan from the beginning. And it's interesting, voiceover in the in the long history of film and television, it's, it's had its place. And then it was like kind of passe. And then it was really like reviled. And, and uh, it's a polarizing element. Some people really like it and some people hate it. And we had a lot of both on 1883. We had a lot of the, oh, I love this. And, and a lot of the, I hate it. But even a lot of the, I hate it's turned into, I get it. And I love it by the end of it. Cause when you realize, I mean, spoiler of all spoilers, like she's speaking from the grave the entire time. So what a lot of, um, a lot of viewers said, you know, in the beginning stuff, that feedback that we would get, or just, you know, comments that we would get is I don't, she has way too much information. This doesn't make any sense. And then by the end, they're like, oh my God. And then their tears you know, is the, is the, <laughs> the end of the series happens. And like, I get it now. She was talking to us from the grave the entire time. That's why she has all this information. That's why she has this perspective. So it was a, it was a vital element in 1883. And I think, uh, rather poetically done. I'm, I'm a very biased audience for it because I, well, because of just this, like I, I work on the show, I love Taylor's <laughs> writing um, and I loved it from the beginning. 
Um, and I actually, when I read 1883, I, I wasn't sure that she died. Like I, I kind of read it just as a, as an audience member. Um, I knew that some of the things that he was toying around with as far as the narrative of the show, but I wasn't positive that she died. And so, um, you know, when, when, how do you, how do you do it as a, as an editor? I mean, what's interesting is that we would, uh, we would play it back on set sometimes to make sure that we were covering enough of what, you know, getting enough material. So if you wanted like one long shot to play over some voiceover, you know, um, Isabel recorded all of it. And we she actually, over the course of making 1883, she recorded it a number of, of times, but we always had at least a scratch track playing on set to make sure that we were just like, that our shots were long enough, like just as simple as that. It's mostly not necessary to do that because you end up shooting enough material to, to, to cover you know, any, you know, as much time as you want usually, but, in, but in oneers and things like that, we, we, we made sure that we did it. And then getting, you know, speaking to why she recorded it multiple times, what was interesting is that she recorded it before we had shot anything. And then she recorded it again at the end after we'd shot everything and a few times in between. And it was really interesting to hear how her performance changed. And sometimes we're using that very first take, that very first performance. And sometimes we're not. And I don't even remember anymore when we, I mean, I remember a few examples specifically, but it, it just it allowed um, Taylor and, and me and, and the other editors involved to, to get very specific about how we wanted uh, that performance. What was the most effective performance? And um, even, you know, just just going from being this this wide-eyed, naive girl into who she is at the end. She is such a talented actress that she she went through a lot of that journey on her first performance, her first read through of the narration. But there's no doubt that like the experience of doing the show um, added to that performance, especially in those later episodes when she's uh, seeing the entirety of 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 what's going to happen to her. So. Yeah, a really, a really vital element for us, but one that did not come without a little bit of, uh, not controversy, but just like commentary from our audience of like, oh my God, and then like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, I think very proud of how that paid off as well. It's playing with expectations somewhat. Now, because of the streaming world we live in, I actually haven't had the opportunity to watch Yellowstone. Is voiceover an element in that show as well? No, or is that no. just for 1883? Just for 1883, it's not it's not an element that uh, and, and we don't really you know 1883 is interesting. That is it's a self-contained story. Um, we're going to you know this has been announced that the next season, quote unquote, of 1883 will be, I think it's 1932 or something. We're gonna we're gonna engage the Duttons in a different point in their history. I have no idea if narration is going to be part of that, um, but it worked very well and very uniquely for for 1883's story because of what happens with our character but you know yellowstone we don't we don't do it we do flashbacks in yellowstone but we don't do narration you know chad something you mentioned in passing uh triggered another question for me and that was that you're playing the voiceover on set to make sure that the shots are long enough but talk to me as an editor do you spend a lot of time on the sets when you're working Usually, no. On 1883, I did. I was there a lot. And part of why I was there so much was just because I was editing the show in Los Angeles, where I live. And then, you know, Taylor was on set all the time. And to, to just just to work with him, I traveled to where they were shooting. And so the real wonderful part of that is I developed relationships with a lot of the principal cast. Um, and, and that was really fun. And I would get to show them first cuts of things or, or, you know, sometimes second, third cuts of things, whatever. But, um, you know, and, and it was all whenever Taylor felt that it was important for them to see the work that they had done, whether or not just to, just to do it for fun or whether it was going to inform a performance that they were about to shoot. So that was really exciting. We had, uh, you know, there was a lot of remote location work on 1883 for obvious reasons. 
And we had like a, a, a village of trailers for all of our crew. And I had one as well. We had an Airstream trailer that had an Avid in it and a bed. And so I, when <laughs> I would go out there, I would, uh, we could work together. I could show him stuff and then he could go off and shoot some more and I can make changes. And then at night, that's where I slept. And, and so it was, uh, it was a interesting and very cool like group experience, right? We were all in that together. Some, you know, uh, Tim and Faith had a slightly nicer trailer than I did, put it that way, but (laughs) as they should, but, um, but we were all like in it together, you know, and it was, it was very cool. So I, on a number of different occasions, I was out there, I was out there a lot in the beginning, like when we were shooting in Fort Worth on some of that stage work that we did, uh, not stage work, like set work where we built, um, set extensions to some existing buildings and created the town of, of Fort Worth in the back in the day. Uh, and to when we were like in, you know, North Texas, kind of in the middle of nowhere shooting. And I was, I was there for a lot of it. So it was uh, unusual for an editor to, 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 I think, be on location that much, um, especially nowadays during COVID. But it was a real thrill. And, and it was, uh, it, I think it just made me feel more connected to the material that we were shooting. It was fun to get to watch them shoot it firsthand. I want to do a deeper dive into a specific scene, and that's in episode four, where the wagon train needs to cross the river. Mm-hmm. Now, they do cross the river. It's quite mm-hmm. disastrous. It's, Some of them it's, do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so as we said, we warned there would be spoilers. But I want to talk about the decisions from an editing perspective on how this scene came together. Yeah, that scene was really interesting because I think what what ended up on screen is what Taylor had envisioned for it, but it wasn't necessarily the case that that, that was going to work. Um, it was so the sequence itself was actually really complicated, and we shot it over two days with six cameras. For those that hopefully hopefully everyone that's listening to this has seen it, because I've already told them that Elsa dies. Um, <laughs> but if anyone for some reason hasn't seen it, um, the scene is uh, Elsa playing the Moonlight Sonata on the piano, and then we we have these little flashes of the river crossing as it's happening, um, with no so- sound from the river crossing itself. We only ever hear the piano, and then we're flashing back to these images of of struggle and, and horror. So what we did to to capture that was to spend two days and shoot the whole thing straight. Like there was an edit that I made of just the entire river cross thing as a scene with sound and like, you know, production sound and all that stuff. We had every bit of it. We had it in spades. I mean, um, in, in two days, you can, you can accomplish quite a lot. And it was a complicated sequence, which is why we had to do it in two days, but we had the whole thing. And so the first thing I did was to assemble the whole river crossing. Just like if we wanted to play it straight, here it is. And it was, um, you know, made like a, seven or eight minute sequence out of it that was dramatic and exciting. And so we always knew that we had that to fall back on. Uh, but what Taylor really wanted to do was what we did, which is to have, you know, separately, I cut this sequence of just Elsa playing the piano and uh, just playing that straight as a scene. Then took that sequence of Elsa playing the piano and started to sprinkle in these little bits of imagery. And um, and that was so much fun because the the first, I mean, the, how do you get into it? Well, what we decided was the first image of the river crossing that we have is is um, Thomas, LaMonica Garrett's character, jumping into the water. And it's like, oh my God, what's happening? We're underwater and this guy's jumping in and he's he's clearly frantically trying to do something. And then you start seeing people you know, splashing and, and drowning and you see like horses trying to get through the water and wagons. We keep coming back to it. Um, it took a long time to settle on the, the sequence as it aired. 
Um, and but it was like it was like playtime. It wasn't like a, like arduous time. It was like man, we could do this so many different ways. And you know, Chad, let me insert quickly just yeah. for people who haven't seen it and are asking yeah. themselves, "What the hell?" Yeah. Uh, our our wagon drain has abandoned a lot of their large furniture because it's not going to be able to get across the river, and That's it right. includes this piano that they've been carrying. And our Elsa character, who's with the cattle, comes along and stops where the furniture is. She's right. not at the edge of the river playing the piano. While it's an important are point drowning. to make. Yeah, so, she's but, very much in a, <laughs> in a different location and so we are as an audience experiencing her piano performance but she has no idea that all these people are are, are dying um it would be an odd thing for a person to play music to if they were there to see it um but she has what you know what the piano is for her is this the loss of her old life right i mean she's you know it, it's a very emotional scene for her even not knowing that the what's happening with the river crossing because it's this last you know, in, in her mind might be the last time she ever plays a piano. And, and so uh, the characters are all experiencing this loss in a different, in different ways. And so there's that it ties the, the, the two different elements together thematically quite beautifully, but it was uh, you know, what we, you know, it, it's a lot of people that were involved in the production producers and all had, had different ideas about how that sequence should go. Everyone had different, you know, it's such a hard thing to, to shoot and you have to spend a lot of money to make a sequence like that um the show was uh, was expensive to begin with so but ultimately taylor uh and i settled on what he wanted to do artistically you know and and uh he had the support of the studio to to ultimately put on screen what he what his vision of the sequence was so i'm really proud of how it turned out because people tend to i mean the feedback that i've gotten from is that people it's 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 a very emotional thing but i think it was it was because we had all of the uh, all of the elements at our disposal to make it what we wanted to to be. Yeah, it was it was a tricky one, and and it was hard to let go of like the sequence. I mean, the the actual just like straight cut of that is really cool, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, only a few of us have ever seen it. So in some ways, I wish our audience could see it. But I think emotionally, where it landed is the exact way that it was supposed to be. I also like the way that the piano music like she's playing the moonlight sonata earlier and then when she crosses with the cattle it's no longer the moonlight sonata but we are getting a keyboard rendition of the theme music right going well and we are actually and here we are hearing some noise but muted of them crossing and so it it still ties in without a jarring cut on that i was i was really impressed all very specifically done uh you know brilliant composers brian tyler and, and breton vivian both of whom do Yellowstone as well. Just brilliant guys. And um, we've all worked together now for a lot of years, you know, and, and just in putting that together, I get to talk to, uh, Brett does a lot of the uh, kind of nuts and bolts scene specific work. And so I just, uh, we, we talked a lot about that. He had that idea. It made perfect sense. And the execution of it, I thought was really beautiful. Worth, by the way, worth noting, just uh, uh, when you say like we, you know, Elsa playing, it actually is her playing. Like every note of that was played by Isabel May. She learned that piece of music and I didn't, we, you know, it, all of the sound there is what we recorded in the field. Like it was, it was pointless because it's so specific and she fumbles sometimes as you would expect from like a somewhat novice player, especially having the emotional experience that she's having. And I remember when I showed her that sequence for the first time and I said, you know, this is all you. And I, I was actually proud of her and I hope she's proud of that as well. That it's, it's her playing uh, literally on set on the day, every note that you hear. Now, early in the episode, there's a scene where the Duttons take their wagon across. It's actually a night crossing over the same river. Talk to me about how these two scenes fit together. 
Well, it's important. It's important uh, structurally for the narrative because you get to see what it looks like when it goes well. Um, I mean, and it's it also establishes it is quite dangerous. I mean, uh, and in that night sequence, so the the, the our primary family, the you know the, the Duttons uh, cross at night uh, because James Dutton, Tim McGraw's character, is concerned that if they wait till morning, that their equipment could be they could lose their wagons, their horses. So he um, he wants to be available to help the next day, but wants to get his family across safely first. And so that's why he does it. Makes a lot of sense. And so what we get to see is how deep the river is. Um, you know, there's like, we get to see him scouting the river and he goes solo on horseback and you see like his horse is like almost entirely submerged. So it shows our audience, like, this is what we're up against when we cross the river. We is like the, the, you know, the group at large. And then, you know, you get to see how, how fast the water moves. You get to see how high the water rises up on the wagons. So it's really like, it establishes a, a baseline of what that experience should be if it goes well and, and just how hard it is for it to go well because of everything that they're up against. So it's really important um, narratively to, to see that first and to see them get through it. And, um, and interestingly, um, Faith Hill, uh, we, we, you know, we have, obviously it's a, it's a, it's a show with, with, with actors. We had stunt performers, um, but Faith Hill drove that wagon on that last take herself. And so what you see in the show is Faith Hill doing it. Um, and they're both accomplished Horse ride. I mean, Tim McGraw is a straight up cowboy. I mean, that man knows his way around horses. He's been horseback <laughs> his whole life as well, as far as I know. Um, does a ton of his own stunts just because he's a very, very, very capable horseman. I think they both, uh, hopefully, again, take a lot of pride in the fact that when you when you see what you're seeing on screen, it's mostly you can point to that and say, yep, that's Tim, that's fate. They're really doing it out there. So unless there was something that uh, was just too dangerous for it to make sense. So we didn't we didn't want anyone to get hurt. And thankfully, no one did. Well, we have tracked it in some spoilers, but even if you haven't seen the show, there's still a lot there to explore, I think, for folks. And and if people are listening to us fresh, then uh, still a good reason to check it out. Chad, this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. We're going to call it a wrap here, but it's great having you. In. Well, it was really, yeah, it was fun talking to you. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. It was uh, It's a project that is very near and dear to my heart, so I'm always uh, happy to share with people. And if you haven't seen it yet, uh, yes, sorry for the spoilers, but I think there's uh, <laughs> still a lot there to be to be uh, experienced. So I hope you enjoy it. Listeners, check it out. And uh, listeners, I'd also like to know what you think of these shorter podcast episodes. You'll find my contact info at our website, pullthelineoneword.biz. That's B-I-Z. You'll also find past episodes and links to all of our social media, so check it out. Chad, you mentioned you're working on Yellowstone now. Mm -hmm. They have announced another season of 1883, although, as we said, it's going to be farther in the future. Anything else we should watch out for? Any other shout-outs on your side? Well, there's going to be Mayor of Kingstown Season 2. Um, there's Taylor has so much stuff in the works. So um, the, the Taylor Sheridan universe, as some people have come to call it, is ever-expanding. Um, so there'll be, uh, there's a series called Tulsa King, stars Sylvester Stallone, that's shooting now, that'll be out. So um, yeah, you won't have to look far and wide to find something of his to watch. If you like his writing and, and like his uh, storytelling, um, then, then we're here for you. We're going to be here for a while. Yellowstone is going to go on for a little while. So. Well, we'll watch for those. My shout outs are for the regular bunch. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music, John Juan for our logo, and to all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks again from Below the Line.